Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist. Benjamin Solak. It's the Kiston Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 27, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. It's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day, Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, I I have a statement prepared that I need to issue on the podcast. From the desk of Benjamin Solak, I don't really know what that means, but I've always wanted that to be a thing, right? (laughs) Like, I've like I things are from my desk. From the desk of Benjamin Solak. Last week on the Kiston Solak Show... Uh, I emphasized the importance of the Eagles' upcoming game against the Giants by identifying their big test against Jacksonville in London the following week. I was pointed out by multiple listeners <laughs> that the Eagles were not facing Jacksonville next week. They were facing the Panthers, and then Jacksonville was the week following. After uh, a full FBI investigation, copious amounts of record-taking and data mining, <laughs> we at the Kiss and Solak Show are able to conclude that that is fake news it actually is the jaguars i was correct i know what i'm talking about i'm an expert you also listen to my football analysis don't try to correct me i know what the schedule is thank you i contritely apologize pencil i actually have a correction and omission too okay is yours from your desk okay good it's from a desk that's correct uh this is where it occurred that was this is the site of the crime from the desk of michael kist we recently talked about Sports Info Solutions on one of our podcasts and like the differences between some companies and they have different numbers between PFF and ESPN stats and info and all that stuff. And the director of football development at Sports Info Solutions actually reached out to me about something that I had said uh, where I was misled by some poor use of their data on the timeline in regard to the way that they chart inside and outside zone. This led me to make some incorrect statements that they chart outside zone, excuse me, they chart inside zone, even if it's outside zone, if they cut inside. That was incorrect. Uh, it was misrepresented on the timeline. I took that to mean that that's how they charted it. I was wrong. I had a nice conversation with Matt, and I'm going to mispronounce your last name, Matt. Please don't kill me for it. Matt Mano, Matt Mano, Matt, you're a good dude. Uh, Sports Info Solutions does fantastic work. I apologize for for misspeaking about the way that you guys chart your data. They do fantastic work. Yours there. is way worse than mine. My <laughs> I feel great now. I'm just... <laughs> I was misled 
by some uh, misusing of their data on the timeline. So again, I apologize to those dudes. I got friends that work there. They do fantastic work. So love what they do. Want to apologize and make that right with the uh, with the listeners because I'm an honest person, Ben, and I want to make sure that everything I say is correct. So thank you, uh, Matt, for reaching out and correcting me on that. We have some business to take care of today. Mm-hmm. First up, we'll we'll touch on the games that happened. We're recording on Sunday night after the 4 p.m. games, and then we are going to talk about the All-22. So we're doing the All-22 film review a little bit early. It's a long week, so we're going to get that in today, and then we'll kind of uh, hash things out through the rest of the week as far as how we want to do the schedule. So before we get to that All-22 review of the Eagles' 34-13 win over the New York Giants on Thursday night, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday football. And Ben, I know you missed it, but just some updates. Dallas trounces the Jacksonville Jaguars 40-7. to That's fantastic news. <laughs> That's excellent news. Let me tell you why this is great news. Go ahead. Any and every false positive that makes the, the, Jag- the, the Dallas brass more likely to retain Jason Garrett is fantastic news. Every game he wins is an utter joy because it means he's more likely to return next season, which means the Dallas Cowboys will mire in mediocrity. I am a big fan. I I 100% agree. I don't think much changes for them. They did have a fourth and one where they were up like 17 nothing, and you could feel the energy in the stadium that was either that was just ready to kill Jason Garrett if he didn't go for it. They went for it and they made it. So that was he he saved himself there which was fascinating. The other games in the in the division or the only other game in the division was the Carolina Panthers dropping one 23 to 17 to the Washington Redskins. I watched that entire game as part of prep because the Carolina Panthers are the team that we play next. I put a recap up of that game up on bleedinggreennation.com. It was mm-hmm. a sloppy one where all the Redskins had to do was be there and be be competent because the Panthers what three turnovers in the first half and then just three terrible throws to end that game from Cam Newton, who played fantastic in the second half. It's a shame to see him end the game that way because he's going to get a lot of the criticism when some of it also belongs to uh, DJ Moore for having two fumbles and the coaching staff as well. I didn't like some of their decisions, but I detail that, and we'll talk about more about that. Remember, bleedinggreennation.com, I, ha- I have some words on that up there. Ben, are we ready to get this uh, All-22 film review in? What do you think? Absolutely. What, wait, what's the Panthers' record right now? They lost to the Redskins. They're three and two, and I had put up on the timeline. Is there another like before the end of the game? It was like right in the first half. I said, "Is there a sloppier th- one-loss team in the league right now than the Carolina Panthers?" And then, yeah. then immediately, boom, fumble, boom, interception, like right on top hey, of each other. Wait, I felt wait. real good about that tweet. Right. So I like I'm looking at this, and uh, right. So they beat the Cowboys sixteen to eight. They lose to the Falcons, who the Falcons were 1-4 coming into the week. I think they won, now they're 2-4. But they lost to the Falcons, 31-24. Beat the Bengals, good, 31-21. Barely beat the Giants, really bad, 33-31. Lose to the Redskins, meh, 17-23. It seems to me the Panthers are a team that just kind of plays to competition. Yeah. They show up a little bit when it's a good team, and they kind of are shaky when it's a bad team. And, like, all these games are, Bengals game was 10 points, everything else was one possession. So it could be an unnecessary four-quarter game against the Panthers this upcoming week. They're an up-and-down team. They're very high variance. They play some sloppy football. Overall, they can play with the better teams in this league. So they're definitely not a laydown, and we're going to detail all of that. We have plenty of time through this week with this long week. But for now, let's get to the all-22 film review of the Philadelphia Eagles win over the New York Giants. We have to start at quarterback, right? So Carson Wentz, obviously, 
big talking point coming into this game uh, was heavily pressured. And we're going to talk about the offensive line, of course. And early on was under a bit of fire, had some tip balls. I thought there was an early uh, second and 20 with 750 left uh, in the first quarter where he had a clean pocket in front of him to hitch into before making the throw. Kareem Martin reaches over the top of Lane Johnson, gets a piece. But on the whole, only pressured 28% of the time. That's where you want to be. And when he was kept clean, 21 for 27, 223 yards and two touchdowns with a 125.8 quarterback rating. That's balling. Now, you're talking about some impressive throws. Let's let's hit on a couple of them. The first touchdown to Alshon Jeffrey, where he extends the play. We talked about it on the recap show, but Ben, I put this up on BleedingGreenNation.com, too, in an article. Uh, the throw, according to Next Gen Stats, had an 18.2% probability. <laughs> so, What does that mean? Like, how do they calculate that? Let me let me pull up their definition because that's actually a good question. I can explain it like an idiot, or I can actually just go to the actual definition and probably explain it a little explain bit. Explain it like an idiot. That's what the listeners want, Mike. The listeners want you to explain it like an idiot. So here's what here's what they do. This is from the uh, their their website over at NFL Next Gen Stats. The machine learning model takes into account next gen stats such as air distance, air yards, receiver separation. It also leverages other previously unrecorded metrics such as receiver distance from the sideline and more and probable compl- uh, completions looks at passes with the lowest completion probability each week with a minimum of 10 plus air yards and all scoring plays so it's where other players are where the quarterback is what the situation is I mean I think I think he was traveling at 17 miles an hour when he threw it too so he was actually like kind of boogieing so like like they take all of that into effect and and make this number so it was like one of the least probable throws of the year, and I, I have another one up on my timeline that uh, Kirk Cousins had that was like twelve point four percent, and you can see why it was just so improbable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, looking at some other throws too, namely in the red zone and on uh, third down. I know we talked about this in the recap show too, but third and three, second quarter, they run play action, bringing guys to the right side of the formation. There's nothing there, and you see Nelson Aguilar just get vertical. And having those two guys on the same page when plays need to be extended is huge for an offense that's been lacking extended plays. Very next throw to go up 21-6. to six. They started with like a, a, a full house backfield with 13 personnel. They had the three tight ends. Mm-hmm. They give a real run-heavy look. And then they shift to double wing left. And from there, you're looking at Ertz with a ton of room with which to work. Multi-directional route options. Ertz tilts Jack Rabbit. And Wentz puts one right between his eyes, which is where the coaching staff wants those red zone throws. Wentz was dealing early. And even with the weird like third and four where it was a fumble and then Wentz pinged one off the chest of Connor Barwin and it landed like in Wendell Smallwood's lap. The tip pass to Aguilar uh, as well that went for a big game. There were freak things that went the Eagles way. So even like the bad players weren't killers like they have been. So it's good to be lucky. It's also good to be good because Carson Wentz was doggone good on Thursday, uh, especially on third down, 13 for 14, 167, and two touchdowns. So extremely efficient night for a franchise quarterback. Kudos to the coaching staff for giving him some clear, defined, high-low reads after things got a little muddled. Uh, Overall, very pleased with the game plan and the execution. What say you, Ben? I have a take. Oh, Ben has a take. Carson's back. What's my take? (laughs) My take is, 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 is Carson is comfortably undeniably unequivocally back it's it's important to remember that Carson being back doesn't mean he's perfect because he wasn't perfect last year and he's still a young player we've talked about this and I'm pretty sure I said as much in the uh in the immediate post-game review show where I basically said like Carson looks fantastic he looks like we thought he would but just going through the all 22 he's back Carson's back it's like like, let's talk about the Aguilar play Aguilar didn't adjust upfield and then Carson found him and threw through the football 
Carson stopped his feet, right, with pressure coming, stopped his feet. And basically, in doing so, there's probably a rule, like if that safety cuts down, you turn up field. But he stopped his feet before Aguilar turned up field. So Carson's basically saying, like, I'm going to leave myself here with heavy backside pursuit coming to blow me up because I'm airing this ball out deep on this made-up improv levels play that the Giants played perfectly, right? Like, that was a 58-yard gain that the Giants played flawlessly. They took away read one, read two, read three, low, middle, high, and Carson stopped in the middle of pressure and just sent it to the empty middle of the field. It's just like, what? Like, how dare you? Like, it's just the, the audacity. That, that, that's like, oh, but, but if you get more into the nuts and bolts of it, I thought Carson did, number one, a fantastic job identifying pressure, right? And we talk about the blitzes the Eagles' uh, offensive line has maybe been struggling with a little bit. They had a, they had a much better job uh, on, on, on Thursday against the Giants, number one. Uh, but in general, Carson's ability to identify where pressure was coming from and then throw into the face of the blitz, those Jordan Matthews slants, third down conversions, throwing where where defenders had vacated the zones, mm. right? Identify, we got a blitz coming from the outside here. Well, I'm going to put it right over the top. So that was absolutely stellar. Uh, and I think that his ability as a, an older player who's going to, you know, get back into the swing of things, be playing more games, get that, uh, get more live game experience, the easier it is for him to identify zones and the easier he identify, or excuse me, identify blitzes. And the better he is at identifying blitzes, then we don't notice when those blitzes get through as much. Uh, because Carson's getting the ball out where it belongs into those hot routes. I think you can safely put to bed the idea of Carson being in any way, shape, or form limited uh, or being skittish. You know, he's still like, you know, he, he's, uh, there's still like, you know, stuff to iron out. I can't emphasize that enough. But he looks as we left him back in, in, in 2017. And that's just wonderful to see. So looking at the offensive line, since we definitely need to touch on it because it was such a hot topic item coming into this week. So we deal with our franchise quarterback. He's looking back. Not 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 a hot take, Ben. I was expecting something a little bit more spicy, but we like to say nice and level here on the Kiston So Lag well, Show. Well the thing is like the thing is 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 <laughs> you don't want to stamp a player back even after just one performance. You know what I mean? Like you wanna, you know, wait and then we're right. seeing issues and everything. And this just felt like a classic if we can say that for the third year player, Carson oh, yeah. performance. And it just, it, it, to me, this answered my questions and he's back and I feel happy about that. The end. Yeah. It created that level of comfortability that like we're used to with having Wentz at the peak of his game. So looking at the offensive line, pro football focuses, pass blocking efficiency for the game, the top three players for either team, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, and Lane Johnson, the bottom three, Jason Peters, who's dealing with that torn bicep now that he may miss a little bit of time, but they say he can play through it. Uh, Patrick Omama, or Omame, the guard that's that, for the that's Giants. That, that's that right guard that Fletch beat up on, yeah? Yeah, that everybody beat okay, up on. Okay, just uh, wanted to make sure. And Halapuli Vati Vaitai. So one guy that I want to talk about that I feel deserves more love on a consistent basis, our fan base's spirit animal, master of ceremony, Jason Kelsey. And there's one play he made, and I put this up on the timeline too. First quarter, 255, second and two at the New York Giants 15. Brandon Brooks pins snacks. Kelsey pulls around him out into the open, and he has to reach B.J. Goodson, who is lined up over the play side B-gap. And Kelsey takes a beautiful angle, and it gets where he needs to be to spring Corey Clement for a 14-yard gain. Two plays later, second and goal on the one. Clement takes an inside handoff, and it's Kelsey and Lane Johnson up at the second level on linebackers. 
Brooks shows off his play strength to anchor versus Snacks. Samalo seals off Tomlinson. It was just good reps all around in the run game on that drive. And I know the numbers don't reflect that because nine of the Eagles runs came in the fourth quarter when they're just killing time and you're just naturally not going to get a whole lot of yards that way. But leading up to that, they had a 40% success rate running the ball. And they got it done in the red zone. I'm good with seeing that because not only do you have that heavy fourth down, you know, run rate, but you've also, it's another heavy Wendell Smallwood night. And we kind of know what he is at this point. It's not bad. And it's, it's not great. Ben, this offensive line took a lot of crap heading into this week. It's good to see some of the chatter quieted with a solid all around performance. But that Jason Peters bicep injury is looming over like a dark cloud. And you know me. I am no Halapuli Vatsi Vaitai fan. And while I'll concede, right. he's one of the better backup tackles in the league and might even start for some teams. For me, that's a referendum on the league and how line play has been unable to keep up with defenses instead of a recommendation of Vaitai's play to this point in his career. So feel free to touch on that if you like, or we can just continue to live in the moment after a bounce back performance from this line. And, and you know, we can we can pat them on the back. But whatever you saw from the offensive line, man, go for it. Right. So let's I want to touch on that exactly you mentioned, because here's mm-hmm. uh, I want to talk a lot about things that didn't happen on that play before the ball was even snapped. Right. Which sounds ridiculous. We talk about running strength and passing strength a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And being able to divorce those ideas, right? And so, you know, if you're if you got just two wide receivers on either side of the formation, and then you're and you're in shotgun, the back is is offset to the left, right? That means the passing strength is to the left side of the offense because there's three receivers over there and there's two receivers on the other side. But really, the running strength is to the right side of the offense because that back is likely going to take a handoff moving to his right. Okay, so this, we have divorced passing strength and running strength in that sort of a situation. Okay. At the snap, at alignment, you can see that the the Giants are skewed in their coverage. They're leaning to the passing strength. They do not have numbers to the running strength. So what you can do is you can call what we would call a packaged play, right? Where you call a run play and a pass play out of the exact same formation, and both of them are valid coming up to the line. And then before the snap, once Carson reads the defense, he can give a, a quick audible, right? It's not like a loud kill kill or anything like that. Sometimes you see that, but it can be a very quick audible, right? Where he just gives a hand signal or he taps his head or something, which indicates to the skill position players that he's going to be executing the run and not the pass, for an example, right? In this situation, it probably wasn't packaged because Carson didn't really give an audible. So you have a, a, a rushing advantage to that side. But even beyond that rushing advantage, Mike, you have an advantage by alignment because of the athleticism of the offensive line. And I know you were highlighting Jason Kelsey, but if I'm Mm. talking about all the offensive linemen here in general, it's an inside zone idea, right? You've got your center and your left guard. You have a one tech. So he's right in between the center and the left guard. He's lined up right in that A gap. And then the linebackers lined up in the B gap. So you have two ways to get to that guy. You know, you block those two guys. You either you know, do a a double team on the defensive tackle. Your center tries to get control of him and your guard climbs up to that linebacker because he has an angle on that player, right? He's, he's to, he's to that side, but you're asking both of your players then to, to start on the backside and get to the play side. So you have to execute two, you know, kind of leverage plays like that. When you pin and you pull, your right guard handles that that defensive tackle on whom he already has leverage. And then you send your center out to deal with the linebacker. So only one player has got to go solve a leverage problem now. It makes life easier. But you need to have the athleticism to pull that off. What Philadelphia has in Kelsey, Brooks, and Lane on that right side, especially three fantastic athletes, is the ability to say, we don't know how we're going to block this inside zone play. 
until we see you line up. And once Mm. you line up, whatever alignment you're in, we're going to call the blocking scheme that best beats that alignment, right? When you see one tech B-gap linebacker, you want to pin pull. It's this what makes sense. So they do. And if you got, you know, a stack, two tech with, with the linebacker directly behind him, so everybody's right over the offensive guard, then you just want to run that as a regular combo reach block. And then they would. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, they, they have the ability on the offensive line. And, and Smallwood doesn't need to know. Clement doesn't need to know. Wentz doesn't need to know. The three of them together need to know. And they yeah. can go out and they can execute, right? And so all this didn't even happen on the play. But it's the fact that Philadelphia can pin pull in that situation. They have the athletes to do so. And they also have the power to just block it regularly. And this is why we talk about offensive line continuity. This is why we talk about how important it is that Kelsey Brooks and Lane have been playing next to each other for three seasons now, right? Because they, they, they recognize the same things, they have the same hot calls, and they can make the same changes, right? And there was a cool moment during the broadcast where you heard Stoutland uh, talking to Kelsey about adjusting protection like we saw him coming in, we saw him faking it, right? They've had the same offensive line coach, and the center's been there for so many years, right? There's so much stability in that group. Right. And, and that's what will help you and allow you to integrate in a younger player like Sayomalu. Right. Because the, the, the group is so well coordinated as a unit that you bring in that new guy. Obviously, it's going to disrupt things, but you still have the veteran leadership and you still have the communication channels between the other four. They have been struggling with stunts. I acknowledge that. And that's a communication thing. But teams do. We, like we've been saying, sometimes other teams do good plays. Like, ah, you know what I mean? So just that. <laughs> That play, it won't go noticed, it won't go commented on, it won't be highlighted, but it it identifies why Philadelphia's offensive line is the best unit in the league. It's because they have the ability to do that. And it's fun, too, because in the summer I was researching that that pin-pull play that they have where where I saw them pull Kelsey and pull Lane, and then in other situations they would pull two other players. And I had to reverse engineer it to figure out, okay, in what situations, what alignments – is who pulling because like you said it's not it's not called in the huddle they don't know in the huddle who's doing what who's getting out to the edge so it's it's so fun to have a line where you can just be like doesn't matter who's pulling we can send them they have the athleticism to do it and uh, a good a good example of that is the first game of the year with atlanta that 12 yard jay ajayi touchdown run that at the time we were like this is this is amazing having this on both being able to do this on both sides because the athleticism uh, overall, just for, uh, from the offensive line or from the offense, anything else, any individual performances or plays that you wanted to touch on that we haven't talked about yet? I think I thought after the broadcast that Sam Malo played better than he actually did. Mm. In terms of as simply as a pass protector, he's a pipe bomb. You know, it's it's you got two and a half seconds to get out of the building. You know, we he's not going to give you long uh, endurance reps of, of high quality pass protection. And this is, of course, the key against quality rushers uh you know what i mean like when he's just right. fighting to a stalemate with dalvin tomlinson it's just like i don't care too much it's just dalvin tomlinson he's never a pass rusher he's a decent pass rusher it's it's not like it's nothing that, that uh i find too valuable when he was going up against uh, uh bj hills or when he was going up against olivier Vernon, when he would come inside on b-gap stunts it's just you 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 have x amount of time right because he yeah. simply just does not have the the lower body mass to anchor in my opinion he is and you see it every time he lines up. He is thin in the legs, man. He is not yeah. thick down there. And so, obviously, he's serviceable. Obviously, he's integrated well. And we've we've waxed poetic at length about his ability in the running game. And that's something that you saw in multiple reps against the Giants. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think as a pass protector, he's a step down. Um, we'll see how that kind of levies itself out. Um, you know, trade deadline's coming up. Eagles have been involved in a lot of talks. Steven Wisniewski is a long-term starter in this league who is playing some pretty high-quality ball. 
Uh, there are a lot of teams who could use a Steven Wisniewski. He would start on their line. He'd be one of their best offensive linemen. Uh, and so if they like what they've got out of Samalo, Samalo, then, you know what I mean? Like Wiz, Wiz should be considered a trade block player at this point, in my opinion. Whether or not that's right, that's what I imagine is the case. So let's flip it over to the defense. Good points, Ben. Thanks, man. First topic for the defense has to be what the defense did from a coverage standpoint. That's the story for me. They hold the Giants to 4-14 and 14 on third down, 13 points, and best of all, Odell Beckham Jr. He has played the Eagles eight times now in his career. His six-catch, 44-yard stat line on Thursday was his worst since his second yeah. game of his rookie season. They clamped him up, and they did it with a variety of coverages. But the key was giving help inside, assisting with cone brackets. Talk about the cones, Mike. Cone was going to be my point. <laughs> yeah, no. Look, and we're going to get to it because what you asked me to chart is what I charted. So what I was saying Thanks, was... Pal. Their cornerbacks were able to play the short stuff, which is what we always gripe about with this Jim Schwartz defense. And to illustrate that point, I charted the pre-sap safety looks for the Eagles as been requested. 44% of the time, the Eagles oh. ran too high pre-snap. Yes. <laughs> oh, I feel good. That's a massive spike. And if you remove fourth quarter for all the garbage time nonsense, you're looking at a 33% success rate against those looks those are the numbers that jim schwartz is going to be looking at when he sits when he when he sat down now already for the game with too high in those looks beckham was targeted twice one reception zero yards any success he had was against single high and we're not just talking about them throwing in some cover two or some man under they threw in some quarters they threw in some two to retrap they got creative with it but the main idea even from single high was to cone bracket beckham take him away force Eli to come off that look and get to his other reads, which is what he was forced to do. One rep that really shows that is the first quarter, 10-15, third and seven at the Philadelphia 15. So it's man-free, Odell's in the slot, pre-snap, it's too high safety. They roll Jenkins to Robert, and he just straight up doubles them with Maddox over the top. And Eli looks, it's not there. Sales went outside to Shepard. So with that cone bracket, what you're talking about, even if it's just single high, they still have him shaded to Odell's side. So he's deep playing inside. The corner can play short and outside and allows him to be a little bit more aggressive on those on those shorter routes. So for all the crap that we've given Jim Schwartz for the Tennessee game, Tampa Bay, Minnesota, props to him for rolling at a flexible, creative game plan that did exactly what it was set out to do. And hey, Schwartz can't tackle Saquon Barkley. Barkley had games of like 55, 50, and 46 and made up the bulk of the offense for the Giants. But Ben, this game plan was fire. And it made life hell for Eli. And it got Odell all pissed off. And that's a big W for Schwartz. Listen, there are two other teams in the league who have a back with the receiving prowess of Saquon Barkley. And one of them doesn't even throw it to David Johnson. So, like, you know, <laughs> like what we can worry about the, the Saints and Alvin Kamara when that time comes. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you play cover three. That's uh, your primary coverage. You know, you got uh, just three deep zones, split the field into thirds. The usage of quarter, quarter, half, which is another three deep coverage. Mm. So same general conceptions, just different zone responsibilities, different reads. 
is really, really nice, and I like that a lot, especially because you can disguise that as cover three pre-snap, or you can run that out of cover two pre-snap. You can do either one. Uh, and so a lot of quarter-quarter half coverage, especially when they had Odell isolated as the backside receiver. Right. Why New York didn't notice this and keep <laughs> Odell Beckham on the trip side, I will yeah. never know because right. it was not very like – They could have gotten some matchups that they wanted. Listen – they had and, and and Shermer was calling quarters beaters to the, the to the quarter side. He was right. calling pack, he was calling scissors. Eli can't hit him. Eli mm. cannot hit them. Like we I cannot stress enough to you. Eli sucks. Yeah. Mm, this is, this is it. You know. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll put it to you another way. I don't think Shermer in the passing game called that much worse. Like it was worse, but not that much worse of of the game that Todd Monken called when Tampa beat us. I really don't think the game plan was that much worse. If we're talking about like purely like passing concepts against coverage, it's just Eli can't hit Jack. But anyway, focusing now. So they they, they called the quarters beaters to that side. They couldn't hit him. But when you've got Odell Isolate as the backside receiver, well, you're basically playing cover two against one dude. And then when they would send the back out to that area, you would get Barkley in the flats. Then that's Barkley's opportunity to make some guys miss and to pick up some free yardage, and they hit him there sometimes. They didn't hit him there nearly as frequently as maybe I would have. Um, but but like the um the Ronald Darby, the Ronald Darby pass breakup on Odell Beckham on the sideline, right? Mm. It's quarter quarter half ideas. It's yeah. it's quarter quarter half shell, and it's it's a cone coverage on the isolated receiver because you've got a deep zone on top of him and a short zone underneath him. So it's just yep. a cone bracket, right? That's the rule that you're operating off of. That is. Nice, and I like how close it was to cover three ideas, still working a three-deep coverage, being able to run that out of a cover three shell and rotate it to a late if you wanted to. Obviously, you don't want to be sending your corner into a deep half responsibility like the way you would in a cover three, so that's not exactly how you're getting into it, but you can still show single high coverage and then move to quarter-quarter half late, Uh, and so I I like the way that that was constructed. I think that a big, massive shout-out goes to Nigel Bradham, and Malcolm Jenkins, because Rasul Douglas, when he was playing safety, had no idea where to line up on every single snap. <laughs> and Bradham and Jenkins kept on, like, and Hicks too, kept on putting him where he was like, like, Every, like everyone would get lined up and then everybody would check to make sure Sewell was where he was supposed to be <laughs> and everybody would run the play. And it was killing me. Sewell had no idea where he was going, uh, which is fine. Eagles have no safeties. It's okay. But but like you were you were hitting on before, I, w- I want to go back to that for a second. It's much more comfortable for the corners that we have to even play that half field deep zone. As long as they don't have their other deep zone on the entire opposite side of the field and they got to squeeze stuff and, and play all these different new rules that they've never played before. They have more inside help that way. So I felt like that was a better representation of how you can alter cover three versus the inverted cover three or the the, the inverted Tampa two or, or, or whatever you Tampa want to call it. Tampa two robber, Mike. Tampa two robber, whatever you want to call it. I felt like that was a more natural move that the players were obviously more comfortable with. Do you feel, do you feel mm-hmm. the same way? Yes, and I think that that's one of the most important things to recognize when you are working with coverage shells and how you're going to deploy your corners. They really do need to... Uh, there needs to be uh, uh, an agreement there, a symbiosis, and you really have to get a lot of input from your corners. You know what I mean? Like if um, you know you uh, you use a, a wide receiver who's better downfield, more in the short areas. You know, like whatever. Like Jarvis Landry was always like a great downfield receiver, and Miami just never used him deep, and that limited his ability to make plays for them, which you know is their fault. But he was still like a very productive receiver for them. Whatever. When it comes to corners, play style 
is so closely married to their correct scheme deployment that you can only do so much. You know what I mean? Like we're vouching for cover two, not because we want Jim Schwartz to no longer be a cover three schematic mind and become a cover two schematic mind, but because I just want more variance, right? Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're not in, like asking him to change the way he uses his corners and he didn't because you, your corners need to be very comfortable in their responsibilities, number one. And number two, it needs to lend itself to their play style. You know what I mean? Like this is why we, we talk about Jalen Mills not being the best cover three corner because he's had a very aggressive route jumping play style. And when you have deep third responsibilities, that can be a big problem. There mm-hmm. are cover three corners who pull that off. We call them... Asante Samuels and Marcus Peters and like, yeah. you know, legends, right? It's like you need to be very, very good in order to do this. And and, and so, you know, like I, some cover two reps might benefit Mills. But at the same time, if, if Mills's head is at the point where he's operating off cover three rules, you can't just change and make him into a cover two corner in a week. Right. You, you, it can't be yeah. done. Uh, and so I like the fact that the adjustments like uh, I liked in theory the Tampa two robber. They used it way too heavily against the Titans. They're still using it. It's just yeah. not using it nearly as much, which is great. Uh, and then you, the same idea for uh, this quarter-quarter half coverage. It's still not their primary shell, but you're introducing variance. You're making it more difficult for the quarterback to know what's coming at him pre-snap. Shermer figures it out. Dows up quarter beaters. Eli can't hit them, and you've beaten the Giants' passing offense. Whoop! Like, there you go. <laughs> so moving, moving on from the coverage concepts, and we hope we continue to see some of that variance, some of the pre-snap uh, disguises and whatnot from, from Schwartz, which is very encouraging to see. After he was under some fire, uh, I want to shout out one guy. I want to shout out Trayvon Hester, the defensive tackle that we picked up. He had back-to-back plays in the second quarter. Only had limited mm-hmm. snaps. I think he had like 15 snaps. Uh, first one he beat Omame or whatever his name is, that guard that we've been talking Omame. about and beating up. He beat him clean for a pressure, and then and then the next play he splits a he splits a double team and takes down Barkley by himself. I think he only had something like 15 snaps, but if we can get that out of him for 15 snaps every week, that's a great thing for us. And, and look, with this rotation, I, I know this is going to be real surprising, but Fletcher Cox and Michael Bennett were once again very special in a lot of ways. Did you see what Ish. I see as far as those two, those two went? Uh, Michael Bennett is freaking awesome. How? For a fifth? And Marcus Johnson. What? That blows my mind every week. We traded for Michael Bennett yeah. with a fifth and Marcus Johnson, who's not even on the Seahawks anymore, by the way. Bennett is fantastic. Bennett's ability to rush from the interior was already going to be a bonus. And then there was the Jernigan issue, which like I wonder the extent to which they knew about that. His ability to rush from the interior is huge. Philadelphia's and and, and this is a uh, this is a, a casual note that I will drop with no inserting of my own opinion. Philadelphia Eagles rush package, their primary rush package, the players you see the most on third and long situations, it's Cox and Bennett on the inside, Brandon Graham, Chris Long on the outside. There is a name that is not in that primary four rush package, who I will just leave it at that. I will not say who that player's name is. And then I will leapfrog to a topic of, let's talk about Derek Barnett. Um, I have been impressed with Derek Barnett this season. My number one concern with Barnett remains. I do not think he has the requisite explosiveness and bend profile to consistently win the outside corner. And as a result, his ability to work counter moves, his inside spin and his inside two-handed swipe 
is limited because tackles aren't as afraid of him hitting the outside track. That primary concern remains. It's a big concern. I think it limits his ability to generate sacks in the NFL. So tell me why you're impressed by him. Because he's clearly an improved run defender. He looks yeah. stronger. Oh, His yeah. hands are better in the run game and in the for passing sure. game. He's got a great head for football. Like The motor, he comes everything, up in clutch yeah, moments. Yeah, he's a tenacity, like tackles down the field, backside pursuit, great mention. I forgot about that. Everything that you want as like secondary bonus traits for your pass rusher. He has them in spades. He has in spades. Fantastic. <laughs> We're still waiting kind of on the, you know, he's a world-beating pass rusher. He's generating a lot of pressures. We're just not there yet. And I hope we get there. And there's definitely signs of positive development. Like I said, hands are better. He looks stronger. That's all great news. I think the bend issue is going to remain forever. But I've just been generally impressed by the fact that he clearly took a step forward in year two. It's just now I need him to take that big step forward at at the moneymaker, where the sacks come from. Uh, and, and I'm not sure if it'll be this season. We'll hopefully see it in, in, in his third season as a pro. But I'm impressed with him. Michael Bennett is, 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 is stellar. Chris Long continues to be a, a super big issue. Fletcher Cox, I think, would be more effective if he wasn't playing the degree of snaps that he is. And he's playing the degree of snaps that he is because Timmy Jernigan just isn't there. And Haloti not as injured. And that's kind of what you got to do. Yeah, but, I mean, plus, we're in a lot of tight games right now. So he's going to play a lot of those snaps. You get some yeah. blowouts and you can let rest him a little bit. But yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Trayvon Hester is better than Destiny Vale. And I said it his first week that he was active, and it was very clear in this game as well. Uh, So, no, the defensive line is not as deep as it used to be. Uh, I have a mock draft dropping on the Draft Network uh, on Monday, which is when you're listening to this podcast. And the Eagles draft the first-round defensive tackle. So go check out who that is. This was not deep it used to be, but it's still very obviously very ferocious pass rush. And then uh, just the, the, um, the defense in the run game is so aggressive and that front four is so disruptive and it lets hicks and bradham absolutely eat because there's so much space because there are so many problems and it's just really really fun to see like it's like a lot of the theory behind run defense is like maintain every gap win with leverage force the running back to make a bad choice jim schwartz's version of run defense is like you know take the battle bot put a battle axe in his right hand, put a sword in his left hand, put rocket blasters on his shoes, give him like an ion cannon on his chest. We're just here to shit up. Like we're just here to cause the problems. And, and Michael Bennett, before he even says that, is already in the arena just swinging a gigantic sword on fire. He loves that, man. He loves to be disruptive like that. So he's like, yep. he's like Uber Schwartz with his aggressive, uh, aggressiveness. They're a very, defense. very nice pair for sure. All right, Ben. I, th- I think we covered this. Any Anything else you want to touch on for the, uh, for the All-22 review before you say goodbye to the gentle listeners? I have a take. Wait, that wasn't a good slam. I have a take. Dallas Goddard is really, really good. And it's not showing up in the box score. He's not getting a super big amount of targets. You know, Alshon and Ertz are getting fed in a big way. And I don't hate that at all. Dallas Goddard is a great run- route runner and is a fantastic blocker for a rookie tight end. And that's yeah. just <laughs> the bob. Listen, the unheralded hero of the 58-yard Nelson Aguilar touchdown yeah. is Dallas Goddard in took rookie... Georgia linebacker Lorenzo, Lorenzo Carter, Carter. I think it was a third round draft pick. And right? brushed him out. I remember Goddard, that. Yeah, Goddard took him at a terrible initial angle. Not Goddard's fault. Goddard was coming in split zone action. It was yeah. play action, right? Lorenzo's got him dead to rights. Lorenzo has once in his sights, puts his hand up in Goddard's face mask. Gets I'm not penalized. sure if he got called or not. Yep. Did he get called? Mm-hmm. Oh, got called. Okay, right? Goddard leverages underneath Carter's armpit and takes him into next week. And Carter <laughs> has to stop his feet and counter back inside once Wentz has planted his feet to make the ridiculous throw. Yep. That is not a regular block. That is like, like yeah. that is irregular. Yeah. And he's a rookie out of South uh, Dakota State. 
Oh man, like that just gets me excited. That wasn't that was supposed to be the big question about him was can he block? He can. Uh, hey, it was it was supposed to be the big question with him. I know of a of a uh, draft analyst found him 14th overall because he didn't think blocking was a question with him. Hello. <laughs> uh, but, um, no, I think I think I'll put it to you this way: the number one thing that blocking does, just for Dallas Goddard in general, like for him as an individual, it keeps him on the field. Correct. He, it, like I have no idea why you wouldn't just. Poor 12 personnel down defense's throats. And the Eagles love yeah. 12 personnel against the Giants, and they will continue to love it against the Panthers. And they hate even 13 personnel with Josh freaking Perkins, which, yep. okay. But when you have, like, Goddard and Ertz are both at least proficient at their baseline things and then stellar at their best things to the point where there is no play in your playbook that only one of them can execute. Correct. Or you need to take one of them off field because he's a liability here. Mm-hmm. It's just wonderful. You have so much freedom. And 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 it's got its sixth pro game. I are think you, he's I think he's really gonna be quite, quite good for this offense. Are you writing that up? Because that was actually something I was gonna write up with some fun videos and whatnot. Dallas Goddard, the blocker. I mean, like, I have other stuff to write. I'll race you to it. If you get it to it on your list before I get to it on my list, you can have it. Oh, I'm gonna crush you. I'm gonna have it done tomorrow. Or today, when this podcast is released, I'm gonna, I'm gonna okay, get to Okay, then it. yeah, you're gonna beat me. I have to go to class. So don't worry about it, Ben. I got it, Ben. I think that does it for today. Say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Hey, gentle listeners. Thank you as always for listening to the Kissed and Solak show here on Bleeding Green Nation. We do appreciate you swinging by. Uh, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. He's been Michael Kissed on Twitter at Michael Kissed NFL. That's K I S T. Tomorrow are we? No, no, no. Wednesday. Thursday? Thursday! Tuesday? We, we drop... <laughs> wait, Thursday? Yeah, Thursday we drop all 22 on the Panthers, right? Probably. We'll probably go Wednesday, Thursday with that. Wednesday! <laughs> we drop the first half of the Eagles-Panthers all 22 previews, and then Thursday we drop the second one. Uh, Eagles offense, Panthers defense to start, you think? You want to do that? Yeah, we can definitely do that. That's fine. I got to watch some more Eagle, more some more uh, Panthers defense. Uh, anyway, I'm pretty acclimated with their offense. So, yeah, that can be my little yeah. project tomorrow. I like it. Right. Mike's already got a post-up of the Panthers team up on Bleeding Green Nation previewing the Redskins game. You should go read that. Get a head start on it all. If you hop on iTunes, you'll see that Bleeding Green Nation is currently at 476 ratings 188 customer reviews which is so awesome uh we'd really appreciate if we get those numbers up to the big benchmarks that does a lot for us in the season uh and the numbers we've been seeing mike awesome i've been getting the daily emails have been just wonderful so a quick moment to say thank you um this is so much fun mike and i have an absolute blast doing this nonsense and so we hope we're glad that you enjoy listening to us and the rest of the crew of uh, bleeding green nation radio and please continue to listen if you do feel so inclined on your favorite podcast app five-star ratings and reviews we're looking for those big 500 200 numbers uh today's monday mike we have our reddit ama that we're doing that's 3 p.m eastern mike and i will be on the eagles subreddit uh answering questions about things and so if you swing on by at some point during the uh morning or the afternoon uh you'll probably see our post up and you can go ahead and drop a question if you like mike and i'll answer it'll be a lot of fun uh yeah so do all that stuff love us uh, help us do a good job help our bosses like us we like you guys you guys are the best and we'll talk to you on wednesday We all we got, we all we need, Fly Eagles Fly. Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was... 
Well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to the Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hit and Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.